0: We've now done over 450 podcasts that are all community podcasts about the people and organizations and events of this remarkable community.
1: On this edition of Radio Survivor, we follow up with Bainbridge Community Broadcasting for a progress report, 16 months after we first talked with co-founder Barry Peters about their unique approach to community radio.
0: The good news is that community podcasting is a concept that makes a whole lot of sense for so many communities, and ironically is not being tried by as many as you'd expect.
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. I'm Paul Reismandel, and I'm one of your hosts and producers. My usual co-host, Eric Klein, is off this week, and we hope to have our frequent uh, third member of the team, Jennifer Waits, back with us uh, on the next episode to share some of her college radio and community radio tours and travels. And this week, we embrace serendipity. And that's, I think, something we actually try to do here at Radio Survivor. Uh, you know, Jennifer, uh, our my, my esteemed colleague, she goes out on these tours – where she uh, goes out to places like uh, the Maryland area, New Jersey. She goes around California. She most recently has shared a number of tours uh, from uh, Arkansas. And, you know, she plans out the ability to visit college radio stations and community stations and Low Power FM um, but often, you know, encounters things unexpected and brings us back some great interviews and great tape. And at times, uh, my colleague Eric Klein has been out and encountered a station he didn't think he'd see and uh, stopped in to learn more and, and maybe catch an interview if we can. And so finally, um, I'm getting on the stick, or I did get on the stick, um, just a week and a half ago. Uh, I was in Seattle, uh, which is just a few hours north of my home here in uh, Portland Oregon. Uh, I was there to see a show and uh, my wife suggested that we take a part of a day and take a ferry over to Bainbridge Island. Uh, it's a place that uh, neither of us had been to before and we've you know been to Seattle it seemed like the weather was going to be nice and it's very pretty there and you know as we're waiting for the ferry, a little light goes off of my head. I go, "Wait a second, I know some amazing folks in Bainbridge Island doing amazing community broadcasting, Bainbridge community broadcasting. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I, I really should look those folks up because I know they're doing some amazing things. And we had them on the podcast early on when we started the podcast. Uh, we're right now in episode 73. And uh, the co-founders of the station were on podcast number eight. So we're going back to July of 2015, and Barry and Channy Peters came on by the studios for Radio Survivor, which also happens to be my house. Uh, They were in Portland for uh, another conference and dropped us an email and said, you know, we've been listening to the show. At that point, you know, we had only about seven episodes uh, finished. And we'd like to tell you about what we're doing at Bainbridge Community Broadcasting because it's a different approach to community radio um, that we think your listeners might appreciate. And also they said, you know, we hope that maybe uh, some of your listeners will have some tips or tricks or feedback for us. So I'll go back now to episode number eight. And I'll let Barry kind of set up what Bainbridge Community Broadcasting is. And and just to to kind of give you the lead into this clip, um, the folks behind Bainbridge Community Broadcasting had applied for a low-power FM license back in the uh, last low-power FM licensing window, which was in 2013.
0: And for many months, we assumed that that was going to be our solution until we started to ask some technical questions about line of sight FM frequencies, about hills and valleys and ravines on Bainbridge Island, Uh, we're a very forested, wooded island, and it started to occur to us that if we really wanted to reach people, we maybe needed another solution. So we withdrew our FM application and we decided we had two missions and we could come up with two technologies. The emergency mission, we went to our city and said, would you be willing to apply for an AM low-power license, which turns out to be available from multiple transmitters, on, even on one island. So instead of having one 8-watt FM transmitter, which would have been our allotment because the transmitter was on a hill and they ratcheted down 100 watts to 8 watts for us, uh, we would be able to have 10 watts at each of two or three antenna sources, and that's now in process with our city as an emergency radio source for a small island of 25,000 people. It's called TIS for short, Travelers Information Services. And uh, a firm in Michigan has helped us immensely. And we are now testing the best AM frequency. And we hope to have it up and operating within a year. So our second mission was to build community. And we felt that had to be done through community cultural programs, interview programs, covering What's happening on Bainbridge Island? Who lives on Bainbridge Island? What are the issues and needs that you might hear someone speaking about in a cafe on Bainbridge Island? And that, we decided, was best met by having at least a podcasting project that was all volunteer and nonprofit and non-commercial.
1: So along with embracing a certain amount of serendipity, another thing we want to do with Radio Survivor with this show is... To be longitudinal in our outlook, we don't want to cover stories in a vacuum or cover ideas one and done, as if it happens once and, and that's all. Or there's only one example for some phenomena or some approach. We'd like to round it out. We'd like to go broad. We'd like to go deep if we can, You know, obviously within within our own limits of our own time and our own efforts. Um, but we definitely want to do this sort of follow up, and so if we talk to a station, or we we talk to an expert, or we talk to somebody with certain experiences that are that are ongoing, we want to learn. Well, how does it go, right? And something like the great experiment that I see with uh, Bainbridge Community Broadcasting, right? Really embracing podcasting as a community broadcasting medium. They were not so far into the experiment when we first talked with them. So it's so great to track this progress and and to come back some 14 months later and ask questions like how is it going? Is it successful? What have you learned? And, you know, what, what perhaps can other folks learn from your experiences so far? What, what are the examples of, of things that you can do and maybe things that you might not do? So let's go now to this follow-up interview with Barry Peters of Bainbridge Community Broadcasting. Well, I'm lucky enough to be sitting here in the studios of Bainbridge Community Broadcasting here in Bainbridge Island,
0: Washington with Barry Peters. Paul, oh, welcome. It's such a pleasure to see you here at the studio. We, last time we saw you was in Portland. Was in
1: Portland about a year and a half ago where we got uh, – where you and and your wife, Channy were able to come by the Radio Survivor Studios, which doubles as my house, Yes, and uh, talk a bit about uh, what you're doing here in Bainbridge Island. And I had an opportunity to be by. And lucky enough, when I called, you answered the phone just off the plane from Iceland.
0: Of all places. <laughs> and so... Where the politics are more sensible than they are in the United States. <laughs> Indeed.
1: <laughs> and uh, and said, come on by. So we're here in the studios. And I was hoping you, you could give us a little bit of an update of how things are going. And I know, I mean, let, let's just start. You have big news about where uh, Bainbridge Community Broadcasting is going in 2017 physically?
0: Yes, it's it's so exciting. Uh, for the first three years of our existence, we've been in the nest of a nonprofit named Sustainable Bainbridge, which has been a wonderful incubator for community podcasting, and they're real advocates for uh, local community, uh, whether of an environmental kind or uh, other issues, but. In the new year we'll be transferring over to a new nonprofit which is called the Bainbridge Artisan Resource Network called Barn and Barn is essentially going to be a 25,000 square foot arts center where volunteers can join become members and engage in any of a dozen different kinds of creative arts activities from woodworking to metalworking to printmaking to bookmaking to writers group And with our presence there, it'll give them a chance to have a media arts group. And we will continue podcasting as BCB, but we will offer courses and uh, events around the theme of how do you do audio? How do you do video? How do you do social media? And how do you put it all together? And to, to us, the ideal solution is one that involves volunteers that we will meet there at BARN, coming in the front door and saying, I'm here to do creative work with other people in the community. What kinds of things can I do? And we'll want to say, come over and learn how to podcast. And so it's going to be a great place to be to solve the number one problem of any nonprofit, which is how do you attract and retain volunteers?
1: And uh, to remind folks, your volunteers span a wide age range. And in particular, you work with the local high school and local high school students.
0: We've been partnering with the local public high school since the beginning. And in fact, we applied for a Rotary Club grant to help us buy equipment for what was then the high school's own studio. And we realized that much more effective was to have the collaboration that results when teenage volunteers are working in the same space as adult volunteers. And that's the way it is today. We, we decided that rather than maintain two separate studios and overcome the problem of how do adults get security access to go onto the high school campus, why not have this place where you're sitting, which is a five-minute walk from the high school, so the kids can come over here after school They can stay in the evening to work on their audio or video projects, and we can collaborate together as adult and student volunteers.
1: But how many students do you have these days uh, working with uh, Bainbridge Community Broadcasting?
0: The the most active group is a group of about 10 members of, interestingly enough, now a video club Hmm. that's producing a weekly video news program for the high school. Uh, Originally, the group of students uh, formed a radio club, per se, and that proceeded to produce podcasts, about three dozen of them. Uh, But the emerging interest was in putting audio together with video, and that's where they are today, about 10 of them producing uh, active programming.
1: And uh, just outside of this studio, people can't see it. I noticed you have a green screen and lights, and you, and you have tripods, so uh, you're expanding it into video podcasting as well, correct?
0: Very much so. We think that the community podcasting idea is what holds us together, and there are certain subjects that just are better told as video stories, especially – as we move next year into an art center, you can imagine the kinds of videos that are on the subjects of how do you make this or how do you do that in either a woodworking studio or a jewelry studio or a printmaking studio. All of those are stories that can de- be told so well in a 10-minute video and that can then be part of our community podcasting fabric that goes up on our website, it gets described on our Facebook page, and also goes up on YouTube.
1: And I noticed uh, it seems like you've passed a milestone recently when I was looking at your website just earlier today.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, several. But the one that I have in mind is uh, we've now done over 100 – excuse me, over 450 podcasts that are all community podcasts about the people and organizations and events of this remarkable community. Uh, There are only 25,000 people living here, but we've done podcast shows with about 150 organizations, Mm -hmm. businesses, governmental units on Bainbridge Island. And those are stories that really help to knit the community together. And the heart of making that work is forming various partnering relationships. And we've developed those with the likes of our local public library. We already talked about our local public high school. We have a a new art museum that's been up about two and a half years. Mm. And they're very enthusiastic about doing podcasting with us and have done over a dozen with the artists that are exhibiting there. And another great partner is our local independent bookstore. We have Mm -hmm. a very active uh, Eagle Harbor Books uh, store in Winslow in Bainbridge Island, and they bring authors uh, to come and speak all the time. So it's been our practice to form those partnerships by helping to give free publicity to the institutions of the community, rather than going and trying to cover an event at the bookstore which might detract from attendance, Mm -hmm. we give advanced publicity to that upcoming event by interviewing the author, whether in this studio Mm. or by Skype, so as to help to publicize the events of the community. Uh, Our most recent podcast, the one I'm working on today, is publicizing Open Mic Science, which is a local club that monthly, has a local scientist speak on their scientific topic of interest. And we're featuring... This month, a scientist who just came back from the climate talks in Morocco, Hmm. which occurred in the week following the U.S. elections. And you can imagine the shock (laughs) and dramatic uh, crisis of conscience that was happening in Morocco as – scores of nations were contemplating what's going to happen next with climate change.
1: Is is that uh, podcast published? Is it live yet?
0: It goes live today.
1: It goes live today. So today, I think, is November 21st. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, that's what you, know, uh, and, you know, we'll we'll be sure, as we always say, we'll be sure to put a link to that in our show notes uh, for this episode, com slash podcast, so that uh, folks can find that. Because yeah. I think there'll be a lot of folks in the audience who will want to definitely want to hear that interview. But we'll put a link to your webpage so people can find all your great podcasts there. Well, you know,
0: telling the community story, whether it's audio or video, is a great opportunity. And I was saying to you earlier – Probably our most popular community video podcast was one that we recorded last December on a cold winter night when the local community was so horrified at what they were hearing about the idea of denying refugees access to this country that a vigil was called on short notice at our local Japanese-American memorial, Mm -hmm. which commemorates the fact that this island was the first site of Japanese-American internment during World War II. And that night, 100 people gathered with candles. We were there uh, recording the audio of that evening. And that uh, that 45-minute recording became one of our most widely listened podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's so indicative of telling stories that the community cares about.
1: Yeah. And that's probably a history that uh, many people outside this area aren't aware of uh, that. Right, that it happened here. That it happened here, And that people
0: remember, I mean, there's still an active Japanese-American community here, and people remember that those residents and citizens of the United States were taken in a military action, uh, which the Supreme Court later uh, regretted. Uh, but uh, that's the community story and one of many community stories.
1: And you were showing me uh, uh, a plaque on the wall, some photos from uh, a uh, podcast you had done uh, about letters to the editor of, of the local paper over, the, over a span of like something like – it sounded like 70 years or so. Tell me a little bit about that because it does kind of link up with, uh, with this memorial that was had or this vigil that was had about a year ago.
0: Yes, in fact, that was a local theater group called Island Theater, and about eight of their members came into the studio. We set them up in the front room where they stood in a circle around two stand up microphones, and they took turns reading from letters actually written to the editor of our local newspaper from the years 1926 to 1996, and most especially during the World War II years when people were horrified about their neighbors being conscripted and interned and taken away to camps, many as far away as California, for example, uh, and leaving their homes and belongings behind. And uh, so they read those letters, and that became, as well, one of our more uh, widely listened community podcasts. So it tells another community story from a different point of view, Almost as a radio drama.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a story of conscience. Of, of of conscience, I think. Yes, you know, and 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 it's good to hear that. You know, that seventy years ago, right, mm-hmm. there was that conscience then. You know that this was not a necessarily a nation united behind every single aspect of of the war effort at the time. You know, and yeah. and, and of course, the history of community radio in the United States is is one. Of, uh, of, of conscientious objectors who mm-hmm. really started community radio in, in the U.S. And, and community radio and community podcasting is, is a history, I think, of, of conscience.
0: Well, and we're very fortunate that we have such a, an active, concerned community. It makes a perfect place to do podcasts. Tomorrow I'll be meeting in this studio with a young woman, 23 years old, who just came back from Greece and Turkey, where she volunteered to care for refugees over there from Syria. And she's going to be telling the story of her volunteer service over there. Uh, These are the kinds of stories that make podcasting here on Bainbridge Island something that is is so compelling and so so well-knit into the community fabric. So I just have one last
1: question here. You know, we you, we talked to you early on in in, in the uh, history of the uh, Radio Survivor podcast, and it was sort of early on as well for yeah. for this project. And is is there anything um, you want to share that kind of maybe you've learned or any hints or tips? Uh, that have come through in the last 18 months that you would give for any community group, whether it's maybe a community radio station looking to do more podcasting or maybe another nonprofit looking to think, aha, we, we don't have the resources to, to commit to like a 24-7 broadcast, but this podcasting idea seems like something that would work. Is there anything that's kind of come out in the last 18 months in addition to sort of the initial idea, any lessons you've learned?
0: The good news is that community podcasting is a concept that makes a whole lot of sense for so many communities and ironically is not being tried by as many as you'd expect. Uh, Some of our best uh, neighboring examples are local FM radio stations that have podcasting on the side, like the folks in Port Townsend. Mm-hmm. Washington, who have a very successful full-power full FM station and do podcasting that's very successful and describes the community. The good news is podcasting is affordable enough, the capital equipment is available enough, and volunteers can learn in a relatively short period of time how to do podcasts that really work. And, and those voices are genuine, they're local, and they tell local stories. So this is an idea whose time has come, and I hope that any listeners to this will contact us or, and or look at our website at bestofbcb.org uh, for an example of what a community can do with podcasting.
1: And do you think it's been a help to have a space with some mics set up and the computer ready to go uh, so that you know folks can can really just sit down and get started just in a few minutes? I mean, obviously, after they've had like, what, an hour of training at, at most? Uh,
0: yes. Uh, it doesn't have to be an elaborate space. We're mm-hmm. in 800 square feet here, but we don't need that much. We'll actually be moving to 275 square feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the main advantage is if it's there, you will use it. And it also, we've been complimented on the professional quality of the sound we put out and the professional job we do giving a brief podcast set of notes to each podcast so that people can read their way into something that they later listen to. Uh, All of that can be done very effectively with either with local grants or a little bit of uh, local underwriting of the kind that we receive from our local grocery store and our local realtors. Uh, So this is something that could be done in many other communities.
1: I see you've got instructions all around. They're very simple. They're clearly written. It's step by step. I watched you get set up here in the studio, and you had a template already in, in the software you use to record, so it's already mapped out to these mics. And, I mean, that's a lot of what happens in community radio as well. You make the studio, you know, a standardized, as simple to use, so training doesn't take very long. And in this case, right, you no longer have to worry about the FCC. You don't have to worry about transmitters and watching their settings. It's just get the recording and- and go, and that's that's really wonderful. Exactly,
0: our our most valuable resource is our volunteers, and we can train a volunteer in an hour how to how to set up and run this studio well enough that they can make a podcast recording uh, easily. And that's a key to success. And the other key to success in the area of volunteers is making it possible for people to do the other technical stuff, whether it's audio editing or social media publishing of the podcast from their home. And we do that by uh, using our Google Drive, uh, part of a Google for Nonprofits uh, facility that's free to us, and by putting it up on the cloud. Then our volunteers can be at home and do their work on a familiar computer with familiar software.
1: Yeah, they can use free software like Audacity, yeah. right? and, and whatever which can take all to... of these files and turn it into yeah. something. That's a podcast.
0: That's right, and and it's a little more elaborate to train a volunteer how to do audio editing than how to do a a podcast recording. But still, it, it's a great community activity for Tell volunteers. them to get it right on the first take. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: well, that's wonderful, Barry. It's so great uh, to meet you again here, and uh, this time up here in beautiful Bainbridge, Bainbridge Island. Island. It's yes. uh, wonderful to be here. And, uh, thanks again, and I'm and, um, certainly looking forward to hearing how things go with your big move in 2017.
0: And, Paul, keep up the good work with your show. Thank you. Uh, Radio Survivor is holding out the light for people to keep doing good radio and community radio and community podcasting. Thanks for subscribing to the idea of community podcasting. It's a it's a great concept.
1: Thanks for innovating it. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, that was Barry Peters, one of the co-founders of Bainbridge Community Broadcasting, um, Bainbridge Island in Washington State. And we conducted that interview uh, right from the studios of Bainbridge Community Broadcasting there. And uh, Barry was uh, quite kind enough to serve as engineer, (laughs) recording it on their microphones, uh, right into their system. And like you mentioned there, uh, he was then able to upload it to the cloud so I could download it here back in Portland and add it to this podcast. And as I mentioned at the top, We first talked with uh, Barry and um, Channy Peters on podcast number eight. We'll have a link to that in our show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. You can find Bainbridge Community Broadcasting online at bestofbcbaltogether.org. You can also search on iTunes uh, for Bainbridge Community Broadcasting to find their actual podcast, which you can then subscribe to and learn more about what's going on there at Bainbridge Island. I'll also have a few photos from that visit on our show notes. Once again, this is podcast number 73, and you go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast to find all of those show notes. And I do want to direct you to radiosurvivor.com if you have not been there in a while or you are not a regular reader, because in addition to our show notes, we have original articles every week. My colleague Jennifer Waits, posts the latest news in college radio, along with uh, longer write-ups and pictures from her college radio tours. I also try to write uh, the occasional piece, trying to, trying to spark up my writing a little bit more um, than I have been, and try to discuss, I think, some issues um, in community radio that I've been thinking quite a bit about. You know, in doing this podcast and having been in and around community radio for over 20 years now, um, you know, there are certain aspects of how stations operate, choices that stations make that I've been thinking critically about. And in some ways, it's a little easier for me to think about these things critically because I'm not involved into the in the day-to-day decisions of trying to operate a station. Oftentimes, uh, thinking critically about how you schedule shows um, or the types of programming that you might want to do are eclipsed by keeping the station on the air, are eclipsed by making sure volunteers show up and that the transmitter is staying on and all sorts of little fires get put out. But I think it's important for all of us in community radio who care about community radio to try and think about some of these issues. often issues I think that we take for granted. So um, I recently uh, posted uh, an article uh, on radiosurvivor.com and it's there right now, uh, which addresses sort of one of the kind of fundamental qualities almost of community broadcasting, and that's the schedule grid, right? So if you go to most community radio station websites, or maybe if they have a program guide, if you take a look at their program guide, you will see that program grid that will represent, you know, across across the top, you know, Monday through Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then going down all the times of the day from you know midnight to midnight. And in that, you'll see different shows. And, you know, there are variabilities in how stations are programmed, but very often it's kind of a patchwork, right? And what's wonderful about that is it reflects the uh, diversity of community radio and the many, many different types of of music, culture, information, the different voices that community radio attempts to give a platform to. Um, But it's also very different from most other radio stations. And it's a wonderful quality, but I think it often is also a limitation and one which I believe has become uh, much more of a near Achilles heel in the 21st century in a way that it just simply wasn't, if we say, even go back 20 years ago when uh, the internet was just starting to blossom really as, as part of mainstream culture. Um, and when you know things like college and community radio were also sort of um, entering a phase in which many more people were becoming aware of it. So I invite you to go to radiosurvivor.com and uh, and check out uh, this most uh, recent article of mine. Um, I'd like you to read it, first of all, but I'd also love to get your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of my critique of how community radio stations uh, program themselves. The piece is called Trapped in the Grid. Why Community Radio Risks Irrelevance. So it is a provocative title, and we'd love to hear from you. You can comment, of course, on the article itself right there on the website at radiosurvivor.com. We're also on Facebook. You can join the conversation there. It's just facebook.com slash radiosurvivor. You can tweet at us at radiosurvivor or send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Or if you want to do kind of an audio essay... (laughs) to agree, disagree, uh, bring up different points, boy, would we love to hear from you there as well. Uh, You can do it if you have your studio, or you can do it just right on your smartphone. Use your little uh, voice memo app. Um, That's, in fact, how sometimes we record interviews for the show when we're out there in the field. And just uh, email that to us, to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We really want to kind of uh, turn this into a discussion. Um, and, and hope that we can use Radio Survivor, the, the website, the podcast, our social media channels as venues to have, I think, informed and, and vigorous, maybe even debate sometimes about how we might do community radio now, how we might do it in the future, and, uh, and really think a lot about how it's done in the assumptions and not just, not just take all this uh, for granted. Um, You know, it's there are so few places for these debates to happen, really, uh, in and around community radio because people who do community radio are so focused on the everyday because it is so hard to keep stations running. Um, I hope that we can stimulate some of that debate and provide uh, some of that forum. And another little note I wanted to make uh, here at the end of the show is, you know, right now... There's a big debate happening about fake news, and it's, it's it's in my view, one that is, is sort of late in coming, but of course it needs to be had. Uh, and it's about the fact that it's turned out there are these what we call clickbait websites out there that during the election and, uh, and, and even now we're publishing fabricated stories, stories uh, about – <laughs> are candidates about the election that were simply made up or or were were based on very flimsy evidences that posing as if they were news or something like informed commentary. And problematic, I mean, these things have always existed on the internet, but becoming problematic because they uh, were being shared widely on platforms like Facebook. And it turned out that even uh, one site that had (laughs) false reporting on actual election uh, numbers uh, rose to the top of Google's rankings. And I'm bringing this up because, I mean, certainly that sharing on Facebook is one aspect and being there in the Google Rankings is another aspect, and yet another aspect of this fake news story is another way in which these stories get shared, um, often without context, in which people uh, come across them, and it's in these, uh, you know, in, in often in in sites which are. Otherwise, uh, considered trustworthy it comes up in these sections often called related posts or posts you might like related stories for, or around the web, right? You see them, you know, usually on the sidebar, maybe at the end of an article and it could be on a, on a site like Rollingstone.com or even salon.com. And a lot of it, you know, is salacious, obvious clickbait be things that you know like 25 celebrities you didn't know were dead but some of this fake news has also been distributed through these and 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 two of the major uh companies behind this sort of stuff are Taboola, t-a-b-o-o-l-a and outbrain right and it's basically paid placement right so all of the the articles that show up in these uh little sections have been paid for, right? And 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 I don't know the intimate details of how this happened, but I'm I'm reasonably sure that it's a, a situation in which uh, these sites, uh, you know, bid for placement on these on on different platforms. But it's sort of ironic that you go to a site like Salon.com, which is otherwise sort of known for progressive politics, and you see some pretty. Not progressive messaging on the left, so not necessarily even uh, right wing uh, kind of politics, but often things that are are very uh, regressive with regard to comments about celebrities' bodies, usually women, and just other things which which are clearly designed just to to kind of bait you to click. And then the sites you go to are designed to kind of keep you clicking and looking at ads, right? And they're usually ads populated through uh, things like the Google Display Ad Network. Um, And their only purpose is to get you to click in and to keep clicking and to keep looking at ads as as you go through various slideshows and things like this. Um, so they can make money. They're basically content farms uh, really aimed at the lowest common denominator. But also in this, it's been spreading some of this fake news. And and the ironic part is that then otherwise fairly respectable or, or respected, uh, more mainstream sites end up. Inadvertently spreading this fake news because some of it has been paid for into these outbrain or taboola sections, these uh, ad sections on their sites, and because it's all automated and for the most part, you know, the filters are 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 not in place or, or sites don't take advantage of them, and it's a real problem. It's a real problem, and it sort of I think illustrates uh, some of the difficulties of a sort of ad-funded uh, internet, of ad-funded, uh, especially ad-funded publishing online. And, and this is not my uh, Jeremiah against ad funding. Um, I work in podcasting. I work in part in podcast advertising, I, I, you know which has been mentioned before on the show. Um, I like to think that we work with a, a type of ad which uh, does not <laughs> simply uh, cater to the lowest common denominator. And which we work very hard to maintain some integrity so that the uh, podcasts uh, that have ads on them, that the hosts themselves have a say in what companies are represented on their show, what advertisers are represented, so that it's the exact opposite of of what happens with these sorts of uh, around-the-web type advertisements when there's almost little control and almost no editorial control about what shows up there. And I have empathy for the publishers because – uh, as online publishing has developed in the last uh, 20 years or so, the rate, the amount of money that a site can make from ads has been going down and going down. And so one, one of the ways that you combat that, of course, is you increase the number of ads you have or you increase the, the variety of ads. And these companies like Outbrain and Tabool have offered uh, a very easy way to add some extra revenue To your websites. But it's showing up now to have this uh, unintended consequence, if you will, that of course not only affects the site and the reader, but seems to be also having negative effects on our discourse, (laughs) on our democracy, if you will. And this is something which I actually wrote about a radio survivor a number of months ago in the context of that's the exact opposite of what we want to see happen we try to embrace uh, the spirit i think of community radio of community podcasting of college radio uh, you know of sharing of information sharing of resource and doing so with respect for our audience respect for our readers and you our listener and what that means is i think a principle to stand that we're not going to bombard you with, a, with these other salacious clickbaity things simply to help earn a little bit extra money to keep the site going. Of course, the downside of that is then funding has to come from somewhere else. And, and we deeply appreciate everyone who's contributed to help uh, Radio Survivor keep going, both the podcast and our website. In fact, right now we have 36 people who are contributing monthly via uh, via our Patreon campaign uh, to help sustain uh, this whole enterprise? And boy, we appreciate every single one of you who uh, who's been willing to make that monthly commitment to to pledge a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars a month to help us continue both to keep the site going, um, to keep the podcast going. Um, it's been helping to defray costs on travel. And, and, and other things which we need to operate. But there's so much more we'd like to do. Certainly at this point, Radio Survivor is still very much a volunteer enterprise, just, just like much of community radio is, right? Um, where uh, we, we aren't really able to, to do much more than we're doing now uh, with what comes in. What we'd love to be able to do, of course, and we've talked about this before, is to make Radio Survivor a radio show, uh, which entails additional production work every single week so that stations could rely on us to give them a product which can be easily fit into like a half hour or fifth or an hour into their schedule, right, as it is right now. Um, we deliver you podcasts that might be forty minutes, might be a little, might be an hour and fifteen, um, because that's about what we have the time for to get it out the door, and that additional editing, um, an additional production time to try and uh, and make it really fit in and turn into a syndicated program is something we we just don't have the resource to do right now. We'd love to we'd love to travel more. Uh, we'd love to go to more conferences to help share what goes on there and bring it back to the listeners, as, as Jennifer was recently able to do with. The uh, grassroots radio conference, um, or you know, travel to stations um, elsewhere in the country that really deserve to be covered and really deserve uh, to have their stories told. Uh, but aren't so convenient for us, uh, based upon where we're located on on the West Coast. We'd love to do more actual real journalism. We'd like to do more analysis and really begin to look at you know what what really actually seems to be working. Research, talking to many different stations or many different podcasters. Um, to find out, you know, how, how is this particular approach working out and aggregating that sort of information so that it can be of more use uh, to people who love community radio, who love podcasting um, and would like to learn more. These are all things we'd love to do, but we can only really do it with your help, you know, and we're here, we're here to support community radio. We're here to support community podcasting, um, non-commercial broadcasting of all sorts, including college radio, of course um and we like to be both an aid to folks engaged in it and to folks to listeners to people who are interested you know and certainly we encourage you to contribute your money to to your favorite stations to your favorite podcasts to your favorite broadcasters but we hope you'll consider us as well especially as we come in uh closer to the end of the year and you know maybe you're like me uh and I'm looking right now at my contributions to, to various charitable causes and other, uh, other types of initiatives thinking who, who needs my support, especially in, in the coming year with a new Trump presidency, with a, a Mike Pence vice presidency and at the fights that may need to be fought at the people who will need support at. The services that may need additional help to be offered to women, uh, to, to children, to the most vulnerable. And what we do here at Radio Survivor is to help also do some of this amplification. And to sort of also, we hope, knit together and bring some cohesion here uh, to do for community radio, for community podcasting, for, for this nonprofit, non-commercial community-based communications sector, what many radio publications are able to do for commercial radio, what uh, the very great current is able to do for, for public radio and public television. That's what we, we'd like to do. And we know, like, like, like you, it's uh, in community radio and some of these operations, right? There isn't as much money. And it's hard to go out and do development when we're spending most of our time trying to do the thing, making the podcast, writing, um, researching, traveling, and reporting. But I, I bring out, do this sort of dissertation because I just kind of want to point out how we are really trying to respect your time. You're trying to respect your attention and we don't take it for granted. Every moment you spend with the podcast is greatly, greatly appreciated. Certainly, we hope that you'll tell a friend, that you'll share it on social media. You'll share it with people you think might appreciate what we do. and might learn something. Uh, we hope that you'll go on to platforms like Stitcher or platforms like iTunes and rate us and review us so other people can help find us. And we hope maybe you can contribute something to help us keep this effort going. Um, I'm a little amazed myself now that we're, we're into our uh, seventh year of doing radio survivor that uh, we're in our second year of podcasting that we've been able to put 73 of these shows together. Um, I wasn't sure when I started and uh, of how long we would go and what we do has morphed over time. And certainly, you know, week to week changes with how much time we have available to do it. But I I like to think that we're still making something that is uh, useful and valuable to folks like you who decide to take that extra step to download and to listen and spend a little time with us. So please consider Radio Survivor in your plans, Um, whether you can do a monthly contribution through our Patreon a fundraiser which is patreon.com slash radio survivor is my as little as a dollar a month actually makes a huge difference uh because when you make that that, that pledge it starts to be something we can depend upon that we can rely upon and we can start making plans because we know X amount of money will be coming in every month. But not everyone can do that. So if you can make a one-time contribution, we certainly appreciate it as well. Um, you can do that via our PayPal account. Go to com slash support. Um, we hope that you appreciate what we do. Hope we hope you appreciate that we're trying to respect your attention because we we simply don't want to have to go down the road of – making money through um, through means that might inadvertently undermine our message, that might inadvertently undermine our intent. Um, that's why we decided to get rid of banner advertising on our site, um, and we were able to do that because um, our Patreon subscribers were able to get us up to that $100 level, in which basically replaced what we were making on banner ads. And we also don't want to be re- re- reduced to uh, – to try to only following the trends and publishing things that are that are intended more to bring clicks and eyeballs than necessarily to contribute and necessarily to stimulate discussion and debate. So any help you can you can give is greatly appreciated and, and I I hope I've made my point. I hope I made it clearly. And if I haven't, or you've got any comment, of course, uh, do drop us a line. Podcast at Radiosurvivor.com. Eric And Jennifer should be with me on the next program. So we'll have some more diversity of voices and I certainly look forward to meeting with them and speaking with you next week. Thanks.